You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. I've got uh, my good friend as co-host uh, this week, Carmi Levy out of Toronto. Thanks for joining me. Hello, Mike. Great to be here. We have a ge- uh, great program. Uh, our show is all about the world of technology, kind of uh, making it simple and understandable. There's so much happening uh, with tech advancements in uh, the world, and uh, we're trying to help demystify some of it. On today's show, we will be talking uh, about a, a few different uh, tech items. Uh, one of them uh, has to do with space, or a couple have to do with space. Uh, SpaceX's Starship giant rocket was supposed to take off uh, last week, but hasn't yet. It's been delayed into this coming week. We'll uh, talk about that. And also the Mars Curiosity rover is getting a software update. We'll tell you all about that as well. Uh, Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg is uh, cutting back on costs. He's getting uh, Facebook employees to come into the office. They're not happy about that. And cutting back on a lot of the free food services. We know a lot of these tech companies have these uh, beautiful cafeterias where all the employees can eat for free gourmet meals. Well, that might be coming to uh, an end for uh, a lot of these companies, and we'll get into the uh, matter of that. And AI has changed one industry, the search industry. When you think search, you probably think Google. Bing is out there as well. That's Microsoft's uh, version of search, and it is a distant, distant second. I think uh, Google has like 90% market share. Well, Microsoft has uh, invested over $10 billion into the company that uh, has made ChatGPT, and Bing is having a moment. Can it take on Google? Well, it looks like Google is actually kind of freaked out, and we'll uh, chat about that as well. Carmi, let's... uh, dive into some of the uh, the news this week and this was an interesting uh, one and it has to do with AI again and a major photography contest uh, the Sony World Photography Awards we've seen that uh, AI has entered or uh, I guess artists have entered uh, some AI images and other contests uh, and won well it looks like a photographer in uh, a German photographer his name is Boris uh, Eldgesen he has uh, entered a, a photo into this uh, contest and I think he actually won but he's declined the award right yeah I mean it's this gorgeous sepia toned image of two women it almost looks like an antique kind of a photo you would have expected that would have come from the early 20th century or late 19th century you know, right at the beginning of photography and so he used artificial intelligence to create it to describe it to build it and then he entered into the contest and maybe he was trying to send a message. It won. Um, and to his credit, he has now declined the award. He's basically saying, uh, I can't accept it because this isn't photography as we've defined it. And it certainly doesn't fit within the rules of the contest, but it certainly uh, raises the issue of artificial intelligence driven photography. And you know, as a photographer myself, I'm super interested in this. Um, but, you know, and as cool as it looks, it, it opens up a whole bunch of questions uh, about sort of how artificial intelligence works in the photography space um, and what we should call these things when they are submitted into contests or used in marketing campaigns or included in a photographer's portfolio. Much like decades ago, we started having this discussion around Photoshop. Is it a real picture? Now that we've added AI into the the, the picture, I think we really owe it to ourselves to have a discussion at a society level what is this and how do we deal with it? Because right now, no one really knows. Uh, and these images are already starting to get it out there. Uh, and, and this is only going to happen more frequently over the next few months and years. we got to figure it out now. 
I've been uh, looking at this photo, Carmi, and it uh, it's kind of haunting almost. It, it Like you said, it's two women, uh, a younger woman and I guess uh, uh, an older maybe mother behind her. And it looks spooky real. Like, like you said, it is kind of a, a sepia-toned, turn-of-the-century type photo, but I think a lot of people would not be able to tell the difference. They probably wouldn't. I mean, there are some, you know, there's like a, there's a foreground, there are two women, one in the foreground, one in the background. And if you look really closely, you can sort of see that the lighting is a little bit different. The, uh, the, the, the resolution is somewhat uh, worse on the background image than on the foreground image. There are a few things that to my photographer's eye makes it look just very slightly off. But it also looks enough, you know, sort of like enough of it is is to the good that it sort of makes you think, oh, my God, like this is this like as a photographer, this is the kind of photo I'd love to be able to take. Um, So and obviously, as time goes on, the AI component of this will get better. In other words, the difference, the gap between AI and real photography is going to get narrower and narrower to the point that even a trained photographer, even someone with decades of experience leaning right into the image and looking at it on almost at a pixel level won't be able to tell the difference. And what do we do then? Like at that point, when you can pass off an AI image as a photo, um, you know, how much, you know, know, at at what point, what if real photographers do? Um, If you are, you know, if you're running a photo contest, what kind of rules do you have in place? I mean, it was literally changing the rules of the game as we speak. And it's only going to become more difficult for us to process as the technology continues to improve. It's a stunning image, no doubt. Uh, but at the same time, it raises so many questions and we don't have answers to them, not even close. Okay, so it's one thing, you know, fo- you know, photo contest. That's one thing, Carmi. I'm more worried about misinformation again. Like you could create a photo of Joe Biden or Donald Trump doing crazy things and they would be photorealistic. And so at what point, how do you tell what's real and what's not anymore? We already saw that uh, earlier this year with that the Mind Journey tool, uh, the, the picture of the Pope wearing a, a white puffy jacket, those photos of Donald Trump being violently arrested by men in suits on the street. Uh, those photos looked, uh, for all intents and purposes, real, but they were photo, dem- they were demonstrations of the technology, uh, the, the artist, so to speak, uh, describe the image to the AI bot. The AI bot then turned around and created those images based on how it had been trained. Um, And so, yeah, it raises a terrifying specter of disinformation on a level that we have not seen up until now. And those two images, for example, did go viral, but they were very quickly debunked. Um, and, And, but the thing is that may not be the case next time. They may be so, the fidelity might be so high and they might be so, so, you know, so much nowhere near as absurd as these two, these two images seem, seem that uh, we may buy the, the disinformation. We may believe it, or some of us might believe it. And we know that a lie will race around the world far faster than the ability of truth uh, to catch up with it. So, you know, I think, you know, we're going to need to have better tools built into our digital platforms to be able to recognize when AI has been used to create a work Um, you know, something, you know, an image, a video, uh, a piece of writing. We know that ChatGPT, the the makers of ChatGPT, OpenAI, for example, are introducing tools that catch text that the chatbot creates. We need to have similar tools that do the same thing for still imagery, video imagery, audio, um, so that, you know, you'll be able to run it through this processor and it'll tell you, nope, not real. Um, You know, and, and then we'll have to get the platform owners like 
Twitter, um, like Facebook, like Instagram on board so that they incorporate these technologies into their tools in much the same way that YouTube, for example, scans everything that you upload uh, in real time for copyright violations, listening for songs in the background. We need to have similar real time triggers for AI, because if we don't, uh, disinformation as bad, as bad as it is now will become unmanageable in the years to come. I, I'm Carmi, I'm actually very concerned about this. I know that uh, credible media outlets uh, will probably come up with a system for verified photos. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But that, for a lot of people, that doesn't matter. You know, we see all this disinformation on the internet and they just take it as gospel. So, you know, as this information gets more vis- visual, whether that's photos or video, we all know humans kind of gravitate to more visual means. Uh, mm-hmm. That That's going to be, that's going to be the gospel or truth to a lot of folks, even though they're not yeah. real. Yeah, and as much as I've always said, you know, we need to be better digital citizens and we need to rise to the occasion and be more responsible consumers and sharers of content, no matter what kind of content it is. I think you're right. I mean, all you need to do is go onto any social media platform, scroll through a feed, and you realize that we are surrounded by far more people who probably shouldn't have access to these tools than we would like. I often lay awake at night worrying about the state of the digital world because most people simply aren't willing uh, to step up and be as responsible as they probably should be. So, you know, we, 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 you know if, if humanity isn't going to rise to the occasion, then certainly the technology needs to be in place to do that in much the same way that not everyone has gotten the don't drink and drive message. So, you know, we'll have to Im- incorporate, uh, uh, you know, autonomous technologies into our vehicles uh, to engineer that human frailty out of the equation. I think we'll have to do the same thing with artificial intelligence, too. Because AI makes it so much easier to spread disinformation, we'll need better technological protections from that because we certainly can't trust our next-door neighbors to do that for us. We're going to have to take a break here and get connected. Uh, We've got a few stories we're covering uh, this week. Bing, the search engine that no one's using, is actually being used. It's having a moment right now, and there's rumors that some big companies... Mobile companies might be switching their default search engines to Bing because of how good the new search results uh, are. We'll also be talking about the latest in space tech. The SpaceX Starship uh, launch uh, was scrubbed this week. It's going to happen next week. We'll tell you why this is a highly anticipated launch. And also, the Mars Curiosity rover is getting a software update. But up next, Facebook employees are losing some of their perks. What do you think? Well, we'll talk all about it back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike and Carmi here in studio today. The tech companies, they are cutting costs. Their double-digit growth that happened during the pandemic has uh, slowed dramatically. They have shed employees like they're going out of style. Literally tens of thousands uh, of tech workers have been laid off by the big uh, tech guys. And now they are looking to cut back even more on costs. And that includes some of the free food services they get. Looks like uh, Meta employees, which is the parent company for Facebook, are furious as Mark Zuckerberg calls them back to the office and cuts free food service. Carmi, what's going on here? These, these poor workers aren't going to get as, as much gourmet food 
for free. Yeah, hang hang on while I go uh, or organize a garage sale to raise money for them, or maybe set up a GoFundMe <laughs> for them. Um, you know, the Silicon Valley. If you if you work in Silicon Valley, it, we've known this for years. Big tech companies they've done everything in their power to attract talent. There are more job openings than there are people to fill them. Qualified software developers, engineers, computer scientists, all that. So. Basically, what they do is they use perks to attract them, you know, so we have better meals, we have free bicycles on campus, we have shuttle buses from home, we have laundry service, we have gyms on site, uh, you know, we have chefs that we bring in, doesn't matter what it is, and, and every company has been trying to one up each other uh, for the better part of the last 10, 15 plus years. And as long as the economy was, economy was growing and these companies were growing by double digits, it was pretty easy for them to justify it. But what's happening now is the pandemic is now slowly receding into the rear view. Uh, they're coming down to earth, so, so to speak, these companies. Their revenues aren't growing as they used to. Then, And they have gone through multiple rounds of layoffs. Meta, for example, which owns Facebook and Instagram, um, has already done two rounds of layoffs. Well over 20,000 people are affected. And they're also coming back in other areas, including all of these perks. So in many cases, no more free food at all, or maybe they'll still have free food, but far fewer options if you're a vegan too bad no more vegan options uh no more you know sort of you know very sort of high-end offerings of food maybe you know back down to regular old you know grilled cheese using uh, you know white bread and american cheese um so no more gourmet stuff um you know the the things that you used to count on you're probably gonna have to pay for your own laundry now um, you know, you're gonna have to find your own way to work. They're not gonna shuttle bus you there, uh, or they're gonna get rid of the luxury shuttle bus and you're gonna go on like this old, you know, lousy school bus, whatever it is. But the good times are over uh, because the, this is the real world intruding in Silicon Valley. And apparently the New York Times is reporting that Meta employees are very unhappy and they are sharing uh, their unhappiness in internal messaging channels and uh, apparently the messaging that's flowing back to uh, CEO Mark Zuckerberg, uh, not very suitable for air. Uh, and I wouldn't want to be Mark Zuckerberg right about now. Well, I feel for them. No more free dry cleaning and laundry. And they're eliminating to-go containers at the dinner service. <gasps> How terrible. Where's my little violin? <laughs> <laughs> I, I know this is awful. You know, congrats for them for even getting this, right? But I, I do you think they have a lot of sim sympathy, you know, to the general public? No, I don't think they do, especially in an era of double-digit inflation. Uh, interest rates are skyrocketing. The gen general cost of living is going up. People are have, finding it difficult to find an affordable place to live. So it's very difficult for the regular rank-and-file major, you know, mainstream population to feel any kind of sympathy for uh, engineers who earn six-figure-plus salaries um, and have basically had their pick of which perks to, to, to receive over the past number of years. But I think this is the way the economy works. Companies will you know, spend big on these kinds of perks when times are good, and they will cut back when times are not. And, you know, if for the rest of us just kind of watching this play out, um, you know, I, I think it's a sign for the rest of us that, you know, thing, if, if big tech is starting to pull back, then, you know, everyone else in business is probably gonna be doing the same. And granted, we don't have gourmet lunches to lose, but there may be other thing, other areas in the companies that we work for where we're going to start to see, you know, little sort of cuts at the corner here and there uh, over the next few months and years. And I think it's just something for us to keep our eyes open for. I mean, it's not just uh, Facebook either. Other big companies like Salesforce and Google are, are looking at these cuts uh, as well. 
Yeah, and, and I think that's fine. Um, it, again, you know, the industry has to reflect the world around it. And for the very longest time, technology was, you know, somewhat, and I, I hate to use the word fat, but it kind of was that. It, it, they could afford to run in a, in a, you know, a, more, a richer manner. Um, they could afford to make investments that you and I and most of our listeners would perceive as somewhat exorbitant or extreme um, or hedonistic. Um, but, you know, now that the economy is leaning out a little bit, they're coming back down to earth. Uh, and I think that's fine. It's, technology has to reflect that. Otherwise, uh, it is not sustainable. And at the end of the day, for for as mythical as companies like Meta and Alphabet, which owns Google uh, and Microsoft, uh, have become, and Apple, uh, they are businesses at the end of the day. They have to make money. They answer to shareholders. Um, and if those margins aren't where they need to be, shareholders will spank them. So rest assured right now, employees are not happy with Mark Zuckerberg, but Mark Zuckerberg isn't really responsible to them. He's responsible to shareholders and other stakeholders in the company. His sole goal, because this is capitalism, uh, is to drive profit. Uh, and if he doesn't do that, if he doesn't make these cuts, and if all these other companies, publicly traded companies, don't make these cuts, then their share value starts going down and then they've got an even bigger problem. So deal with the unhappy employees now, because ultimately this is good for the company's long-term future. Well, it is interesting that when you look at these big companies, they, they all tend to kind of copy each other. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like when the layoffs started happening, they all seem to be in the same kind of range. You know what I mean? Like ten to 11,000 people at a time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and I think that it's kind of a recognition of the fact that uh, they significantly overhired during the pandemic. Like Amazon went from about 800,000 people to 1.6 million. Yeah. So even after they announced, uh, you know, two rounds of layoffs where they're, they've got about 35,000 people affected by this, sounds like a big number, but really relative to the number of people they brought on, not that big of a deal. So I think it's more of a symbolic uh, pullback than anything else. But, you know, at the same time, if you're working at this company, the, you know, what used to be, well, I, I'm just living high on the land. Uh, that's no longer the case, and now you're, it's a little bit more stark, just like the rest of us. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, we're talking Bing. I know most of us use Google, but with all the AI and ChatGPT built into Bing, it is having a moment. We'll talk all about that and uh, some of the changes that are happening in that industry. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Carmi Levy. It's time to talk search. Huge multi-billion dollar industry. Google is dominating it. Uh, you know, I think it has over 90% market share. They make literally billions of dollars from it. Bing is a competitor, the Microsoft-owned search engine. It it really hasn't made a dent. Uh, Google just blows it away. And, and even if I get somehow stuck on Bing, it's very painful. But Carmi, uh, since ChatGPT and AI have kind of been introduced uh, into it, it's gotten a lot better, hasn't it? It has. I mean, you know, it, Microsoft has done, in the background, they, they've been investing billions of dollars in OpenAI, which is the company that brought us ChatGPT. They, in fact, started investing first with a $1 billion investment a few years back, and then a $2 billion investment about a year after their original buy-in. So they made it very clear early on, even before it, ChatGPT became just a regular everyday thing for us, that, that this was technology that was important to Microsoft. So then, of course, when ChatGPT was released to the public, Microsoft said, okay, now, you know, obviously we were right initially, now we're going to increase our investment. So they've added $10 billion on top of it. 
and and with with a flurry of announcements since then that they're going to incorporate that technology into all of their core products. So imagine if you use Microsoft Office and using the word uh, word processor or Excel spreadsheet, uh, AI will be baked into that. Um, and same thing with the Edge browser. So it's it's now part of the Edge browser, and they're going to keep in, integrating it more. And uh, likewise uh, for the Bing search engine. So basically now when you go to use Bing. Uh, there are two sides to it. There's the traditional search engine where you just punch in some some user some you know words, some search terms, and it gives you a list of links like it always has. Uh, but then there's also a side where it operates just like ChatGPT, where you ask it fully formed questions and it generates fully formed responses. Um, and so there's obviously it's changing the very nature of what we think a search engine can do, and it's been getting Microsoft a lot of attention. Uh, Bing has always been an also ran we Google stuff, we don't Bing it. Um, but at the same time, we you know with this new sort of integrated AI, uh, Bing's popularity has soared. They hit 100 million um, users for last month for the first time. Um, it's still a fraction of what Google gets every day, but uh, it's 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 the biggest increase in the company's history. Uh, and it shows that Microsoft now has the momentum, not Google. And Google has essentially restructured the company. They called it a code red recognizing the threat of AI. So, um, you know, it's funny, I've been playing with Bing more frequently lately because now I'm interested. Now they're they're trying different things. It's new, it's different. And as Google works on updates to its core search engine to make it more AI-like and also reportedly is working on a completely AI-based replacement for traditional Google search, um, you know, that's all coming, that's future. Microsoft actually has stuff that you and I can use in our browser today. And that's pretty exciting because maybe, just maybe at some point, we will bing something, and as Microsoft has been hoping for years. Do you remember back uh, a few years ago, uh, a lot of t uh, TV shows, and I think even movies, it, it was obvious Microsoft was paying them to use Bing. Do you know what I mean? Like in, yeah. in the content and, you know, you'd be watching a cop show and they'd be like, oh yeah, I'm going to bing that. And I'm just like, oh, it's just like cringing every time they, they, they said that because no one ever would, would say that. They'd always say, I'm going to Google that. But what, what's interesting, uh, and this is kind of a, a rumor out there, uh, Samsung is potentially considering ditching Google as their default search engine on their mobile devices for Bing. Like, again, it's kind of a rumor, but isn't that scary for Google? Oh, it absolutely is because I mean, you and I really don't think a whole lot about it. We pick up our smartphone, we 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 open up Google Search, uh, and we just search for something. We don't think about all the things that are happening in the background. But the thing is, companies make these multi-billion-dollar deals to have that real estate, and so you know, Google has has paid, and I think they paid like something like three billion dollars a year, uh, or they it, 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 in order to have that sort of high ground. And if they lose that. They lose all of the revenue that flows back to Google from all of these Samsung device owners who are using Google search on their phones. And so you and I, I mean, I, I can I can pick up an iPhone, I can pick up an Android device, and I can change the default search anytime I want. But we've seen this before. We saw this during the browser wars. Uh, Windows came with Internet Explorer, and even though most people could, in, could download and install Netscape Navigator, they simply didn't. And that, as a result, in Internet Explorer won that war. It's the same thing here. If Google loses its position as the default uh, search engine on Samsung devices, the biggest smartphone maker in the world, 
uh, then Microsoft moves in, owns that real estate, and all the all that revenue now flows to Microsoft, and all of that Bing activity flows to Microsoft, not to Google. Uh, as a result, investors, when they first announced it, uh, investors knocked $55 billion off of Alphabet stock because they were they, they were afraid of what this would do to the company going forward. Um, still no word on whether that's actually going to happen. It's a report, uh, but just that single report can send shutters across the entire industry because it literally means that billions of dollars are going to flow left instead of right. Uh, and if you're Microsoft, you're happy. And if you're Alphabet, you're running for the hills. What do you think, though, Carmi? You know, you and I have been in the industry for many, many years. Does Microsoft have a chance at unseating Google from search? If you had asked me that a year ago, I would have laughed in your face. Uh, but today, given what we've seen since ChatGPT first became a thing and the moves that Microsoft has made to not only announce future product, but to incorporate features that we can use today, they've moved very quickly. Um, I would say Microsoft has at least a fighting chance of bringing being back into the fight. And not necessarily like being as a search engine alternative to Google will never happen. I think the search wars have been won uh, and lost. Google won, Microsoft lost. That's not going to change. But here's the thing incorporating AI into a search platform means that we're moving beyond search. In other words, Microsoft, Google might think that they're fighting off Microsoft as the the the, the search engine of choice. But Microsoft really is saying, we don't really care about search. We want you to do so much more. Um, and they're going to use Bing as a starting point. It's almost like their foot in the door. We already have a browser. Anyone can load it up in a browser session. Don't have to download an app. Don't have to change their their, their machine settings or anything like that. It's all there. And that those 100 million users every day, that's exactly what they're doing is they're playing with it while Google still promises stuff that's months away, which means Microsoft has the momentum. And if this momentum continues, it's uh, it's a pretty good horse race. How does Amazon figure into this? Amazon is introducing, or they're working on, they announced uh, just over the last few days, uh, their own competitor to ChatGPT. Um, but it's like so many things in the industry and, and you know, throughout our careers covering this, you know, there's a word, it's vaporware. And when companies feel that they're losing uh, momentum or their competitors are getting more attention in a fast moving market, they make some kind of announcement. We're going to introduce something like that as well. Uh, and it'll have our brand on it. But uh, I still can't use an Amazon branded, uh, you know, a generative AI tool. I still can't use, uh, you know, any of those tools because Amazon has talked about them, but they haven't put them in my hands. Likewise, Elon Musk says he's going to introduce something called Truth GPT, um, that they're going to develop AI tools that compete against the the major players today. But again, like so many things with Mr. Musk, he promises, and eh, maybe he delivers, maybe he doesn't. Who know, who knows? And so right now, I can't, as an analyst, I can't assess the state of the market based on what will be. I can only assess it based on what is. And right now, Microsoft's the, the organization that has done the best job of taking the, 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 the hottest fundamental tool, ChatGPT, and making it its own and incorporating it into its core products. Google is lagging, and everyone else, they're not even in the game. We're talking all about uh, Microsoft Bing kind of having a moment right now. Uh, what was interesting, I saw another report that uh, uh, Microsoft, they have their Edge browser, which competes against Chrome. Again, no one's really using Edge, but Edge downloads are up. Uh, but it's actually driving more search to Google, <laughs> which is the, the irony. 
Yeah, that's kind of weird. And again, it's, it's just because you've installed, and it, it all goes back to what the default is when you first install the browser. Um, so, you know, the, the fact that, that Edge is getting more use, first of all, Edge, of course, is the browser that's included with Windows. It replaced Internet Explorer, also hasn't had as much traction as Chrome. Um, most people who have Windows machines, the first thing they do is they install Chrome on it so that it brings across all of their plugins, all of their tools, uh, from all of the devices that they have, but uh, you know, you know, now with 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 ChatGPT kind of in the in the mix, um, Edge now has a reason for people to to download, and there's a reason for people to use it. Um, but the thing is, uh, just because you have Edge doesn't mean that you're not using Google to search it. Uh, and and as 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 the data suggests, um, people who download browsers specifically, in other words, don't just use the one that comes with their machine. They tend to play with the settings. They tend to change the default yeah. search settings. And apparently Google is getting a bit of a bump here as well. So uh, I think it's a rising tide kind of situation. Uh, everyone's spending more time in their browsers. Everyone's spending more time downloading new um, uh, you know, new browsers and doing more searches. Uh, and that's meaning that the overall pie for the search market is growing faster uh, than what would have otherwise been the case. We're going to have to take a break here on Get Connected. When we come back, we're going to talk Space Tech. SpaceX's Starship will be launching soon. We'll tell you why that's an important rocket for SpaceX and space exploration. And the Mars Curiosity rover, it's still going. It's getting a software update. You're listening to Get Connected. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. I've got Carmi Levy with me today. Time to talk space technology. SpaceX uh, has uh, done very well over the past uh, few years in uh, developing rocket technology and reusable rockets. Uh, they've uh, sent up uh, space capsules to the International Space Station. They've been tasked by NASA to help out with the Artemis uh, missions to the moon as well. But a big part of uh, Elon Musk's vision is to populate Mars. But to do that, they need powerful rockets. And Starship is the latest rocket from Elon Musk and SpaceX, and uh, will be launching very shortly. Why is this rocket so important, Carmi? Well, for for a number of reasons. I mean, first of all, just in terms of size and power, there's nothing that even comes close to it. The uh, Artemis One mission, which used the SLS or Space Launch System rocket, at that point in time was the most powerful, biggest rocket that had ever flown. It 8.8 million pounds of thrust. Just in comparison, Saturn V had seven and a half million pounds so more powerful than the rockets that landed humans on the moon in the 60s and 70s um and now we're going to double that so the you know this thing you know the the starship has 33 raptor engines on it each one producing half a million pounds of thrust so close to 17 million pounds of thrust almost double um what the sls rocket is so in terms of size nothing comes close tallest rocket that's ever flown almost 400 feet a 40 floor building flying into space nothing has ever been that large can carry upwards depending on the version twice the amount of weight into low earth orbit and beyond compared to any other rocket and and the reason this is important obviously if you want to go to mars you're going to have to haul a lot of stuff off of Earth and toward Mars. You're going to have to get it to the moon. You're going to have to sort of get those programs going on the moon first to figure it all out before you then make that next step to Mars. The 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 the, the upper stage, the Starship upper stage that sits on top of the super heavy booster is in fact a version of the human landing system that SpaceX is designing for NASA 
to get humans onto the moon as early as Artemis three uh, in 2026. And so the technology that that Elon Musk's company, that SpaceX is going to be flying, is in fact going to be used by NASA to land on the moon. So it is so critical that this flight goes well and that they learn from this experience to contribute to the Artemis program as well. Um, and then, of course, everything they learn now becomes part of the Mars program going forward. So it, it all it's all based on Starship architecture. Um, and the fact that it's making its first orbital flight uh, is absolutely monumental. We've never seen anything this big, but more importantly, literally the entire future of, of moon and Mars exploration rests on the, on the shoulders of this one giant rocket. Uh, and uh, depending on what happens, could determine whether it happens sooner or later. If it flies well, program continues as is. If it explodes, uh, then obviously there's going to be, you know, sort of delays introduced into the process while they figure out what happened uh, and then work past them. This is going to be reusable, the the booster part of it, from what I understand. I, I know the tests yeah. so far haven't been, uh, but the idea is that, you know, the future versions that are going to be put in service will have reusable booster rockets that kind of bring themselves back down to Earth. Yeah, and that's the amazing part of this entire architecture is, you know, first of all, I mean, we thought it was amazing when SpaceX started landing the, the booster stage, the first stage of their Falcon 9 rockets on barges in the middle of the ocean, uh, which is remarkable because it means that you can you can launch more often, that the cost of a launch is significantly reduced, um, that, you know, you, you have this cadence now and then SpaceX is launching, they want to launch, uh, you know, uh, rockets every, you know, two a week. They want 100 launches this year based on Falcon 9 technology. But Falcon 9 is only partially reusable, only the first stage comes back. The second stage, they have to build a new one every single time. Whereas with Starship, the entire system comes back. So the booster lands back at the launch site using what are called chopsticks that kind of grab it at the at the uh, at the tower and it kind of hangs off of them. And then the upper stage comes back similar to how the space shuttle did. It was basically it comes through the atmosphere, and belly flops through the atmosphere sideways, and then just before it gets to the ground, it flips ninety degrees and then it lands vertically, similar to how a a Falcon lands as well. And so, assume, so yeah, this, the, on the test stage, they're going to be landing them back in the ocean, trying to control the landing, at least for uh, Super Heavy, just to test how the rockets will work on re-entry. Uh, but long-term, uh, when they launch a rocket, all of the pieces come back. They don't have to build anything new for a new mission. And that is game-changing as well, because it means that, you know, the $4 billion a launch cost of, a, of an SLS rocket that NASA has comes down significantly when you start using Starship. And it's caused a lot of people to look at sort of NASA's plans and go, why do we even still consider using rockets that aren't reasonable anymore? And I think it's a reasonable question to be asking. Let's move over to uh, Mars now. We actually have uh, vehicles on Mars. Uh, NASA does. Uh, we've got the Mars Curiosity rover. And from what I'm understanding, are they sending a, uh, a software update to this thing? <laughs> Yeah, so you know, Curiosity, of course, was was uh, it landed in 2012, so it's been there for 11 years. Perseverance is the newer version, basically a, a new and improved version of Curiosity uh, that's operating as well in a different part of the planet. Um, and Curiosity, they got they sent one. It's it's imagine the most remote digital house call you can imagine because they essentially upload software to this vehicle that right now is about a quarter of a billion kilometers away from Earth. 
Um, so last update was in 2016, um, you know, which, which of course, you know, gave it new capabilities that it didn't have when it launched. Uh, and now it's time for another major update, uh, almost like an operating system update for your for your iPhone, just at, at significant long distance. And what's changing now is that um, they're going to the new software will allow Curiosity to do what they call thinking while driving, because up until now, um, it would have to stop for a very long time as it waited for more commands and as it corrected uh, its drive, whereas now it'll be able to kind of stop, think, go, which gives it, it allows it to cover more ground, but also allows it to do better analysis of the ground that it's covering. Um, and it allows it to get more done in a particular soul or Martian day, a little bit more time. Let's look at some of the tech uh, aspects of this software update. The patch was small, it's under 22 megabytes, which is tiny. But even then, Carmi, it took 10 days to, to send this thing through space to Mars to update um, the software. And it is not powerful computing technology on this thing. It's basically using a, a version of the 750 PowerPC chip, which we last saw on Earth computers in 1999 for the Apple iMac G3 models. <laughs> we often laugh when we realize the, the the lack of power of hardware on current space technology. But think about it. Curiosity was designed uh, a couple of decades ago. That's when engineers first started laying pen to paper to create this you know nuclear powered uh, behemoth that they were going to launch to to Mars. Um, and the way sort of the space industry works is. Uh, you can't just walk into a Best Buy and sort of grab a processor or grab a, a system board and say, I'm going to go build myself a Mar Mars rover. All of this equipment has to be um, specifically scaled up, hardened so that it can survive in the very difficult environment that it, it finds in space on Mars. So it has to be radiation hardened. It has to be hardened against all the, those conditions. Um, and so as a result, you tend to use older technology that has been proven that has already gone through that very expensive certification process. And this isn't like your current day uh, MacBook Pro. Uh, you can't get back the money by selling millions of versions of it. This is highly specialized, incredibly expensive stuff. So um, if you look at every satellite, every rover, every, I mean, the space shuttle flew with like a, you know, a joke of, of a technology suite. But the thing is, it's incredibly efficient and it's incredibly robust uh, and it gets the job done. So 22 megabytes is, you know, sounds like not a lot, but it's 22 megabytes of probably some of the best tested software in, you know, in history um, is the most efficient software uh, because it has to be. Uh, and at some point, those processors, those boards will get updated to the next generation. But even then, it'll always be 10, 15, 20 years, if not more, behind the times, um, simply because of the way space cycles work and sort of how long it takes from the time you design something to the time that it actually flies. That's all the time we have left. Don't forget to listen to our sister show, The App Show. It's on the Chorus Radio Network every Sunday. You can get more information uh, at our website, getconnectedmedia.com. I want to thank Carmi Levy for joining us. We'll see you again next time.